The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 125 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Uh, I should just quickly explain that since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is hope for family caregivers caring for family members with schizophrenia. Now, schizophrenia has a recorded history that goes back over 4,000 years. It's an uncomfortable history. It's a history of treatments for schizophrenia ranging from harmless to brutal. A history of fear that schizophrenia evokes in the wider community. A history of much research, yet schizophrenia's causes are still not fully understood and there still is no true cure. But there's hope. There's hope because schizophrenia can be successfully managed with medications and support services. Now, support services should include family caregiving, but the history of attitudes to family caregiving isn't all that helpful because the family has too often been regarded as part of the problem, which is why our topic today is so important to family caregivers. Now, to talk about hope for family caregivers caring for family members with schizophrenia, my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. Chris is a non-government director of the Mental Health Commission of Canada. As a family member and a recipient of psychiatric services, he's been the executive director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society since 1995 and currently is also the CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada. As a provincial and national leader and advocate, he serves on numerous boards and committees, including the Mood Disorders Society of Canada, the National Network on Mental Health, the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health, and several ethics committees. With an earned doctorate, he's certified as a psychosocial rehabilitation practitioner and as a suicide intervention trainer. And he sees mental illness as an issue, not only of health, but also of social justice. So, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, sir. Now, I would like to ask you, first of all, to tell us something more about your background, your career, and your work in schizophrenia, and whether you have personal experience of family caregiving. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been in Canada since 1985, and prior to that, uh, uh lived in Birmingham, Alabama, hence the accent. Uh, I pastored for 20 years, and while I was pastoring, uh, I made it a point to learn about mental health and mental illnesses, had a strong sense of social justice, 
and obviously met uh, many individuals with lived experience of mental illness as well as their family members. Uh, I grew up in a family in which my father struggled with uh, mood swings. We didn't know much about mood disorders in the 50s and 60s. We were very mentally illiterate, so to speak, um, and didn't know much about uh, you know positive mental health. Uh, he also had a problem with alcoholism and eventually suicided. And then I have a brother with schizophrenia and a brother with bipolar, and the one who had bipolar uh, suicided this past December. So certainly within the Somerville family, um, there is much, um, unfortunately, mental health problems. And we sort of grew in our, our caregiving. I watched my mother struggle with it. But back then in the 50s and 60s, there just wasn't a whole lot of help, and there was the social prejudice and the stigma, and people were basically left on their own to na- navigate a, a very dark world. Um, my own experience in caregiving was as a sibling and more as trying to be a, a mentor. I mean, the, there is a difference between parental and sibling caregiving, and I myself have struggled with mood swings and do take an antipsychotic medication myself. Chris, thank you. Um, Let's move to a question about public policy. The Health Council of Canada recently praised and promoted the value of family caregiving to the healthcare system. So, Chris, how is family caregiving's role and value in schizophrenia perceived by the Healthcare Commission of Canada? I think you're referencing the Mental Health Commission of Canada? Yes. Yeah, the the Mental Health Commission of Canada. Well, uh, the, the commission has released its national mental health strategy. They did that um, about 30 days ago. And it uh, has very strong recommendations uh, in terms of how to facilitate a greater voice, participation, and support for family caregivers in what we call a transformed mental health system. And some of the things that they suggest is that we need to enhance support for families to foster recovery and meet their own needs in handling stress and loss. Uh, it also talks about improving knowledge among service providers, uh, people with mental health problems and illnesses and their families, on the best ways to involve families while respecting confidentiality. So the Commission has recognized the important role and, and value of family members so much that it also calls for an increased peer support opportunities for families, that there would be family peer support workers working with families who enter the mental health system. Right. Chris, how is family caregiving's role and value in schizophrenia perceived by the mental health care system and its professionals? Well, one of the sad realities uh, that we have to automatically place up front is that, unfortunately, there is a lot of stigma or social prejudice within the healthcare professions and even with, by mental health service providers. And so that's a great hurdle autom- automatically, the, the, the stigma, uh, the internalized stigma that family members have themselves, especially that they may have done something to cause the mental illness. But certainly you do have service providers that acknowledge uh, the role of families and of family caregiving, and in some places it's rather affirmed. But overall it's, it's underappreciated, it's, it's under-recognized as to its importance. Um, the value of family caregiving to family members with mental illness certainly undervalued. Uh, when you look at the fact that 70% of people with schizophrenia live with their parents, and that's a lot of savings to the economy and to housing. Um, another way family caregivers are not 
affirmed is, is, is by the lack of meaningful engagement of family members in the planning, implementation, and evaluation of mental health services. Right. Chris, just to follow up on what you said about the, um, and I'm sorry I got the name wrong, Mental Health Commission of Canada's recommendations. For the improvements or expansions of services it's looking at, will those services be delivered directly to family caregivers or will they flow through the what I'll call the mental health care system and its professionals or will it be some combination of both? I think it'll be a combination of both in terms of attempting to increase the active involvement of not only people living with mental health problems and illnesses, but their families in governance, accreditation, monitoring, advisory bodies. Now, the commission can't make this happen. What we would hope is that each province, each province, uh, provincial health government would take up these recommendations, incorporate them in their provincial mental health strategies, and create the necessary means whereby we can bring about these these changes at a very local level. Like in Ontario, they have um, lenses, uh, local uh, integrated health networks. In Manitoba, we have RHAs, regional health authorities. So it would be those entities that would have to say, we're going to change policy to make it family-friendly. Right. Let me just talk a little bit more about the idea of family-friendly. That's absolutely vital, obviously. But there's also the question of voice, that is, family caregivers having an opportunity to influence decisions, to be participants in the decision-making, and basically to have some say or some input on the allocation of resources. And that's actually particularly important at this time because money is tighter than ever. It always was tight in healthcare, but it's tighter than ever. And so the question is, where will the resources go? Will they actually find their way to the places where I think we both agree they're going to be needed? Difficult question, but what do you think, Chris? Well, we won't have much change at all if there are additional resources, and it's not all about money, uh, but you certainly do need the extra resources if you're going to hire family peer support and peer support workers for patients as as well in a transformed mental health system. And, and certainly the main task of the citizenry is to now advocate for enhanced services from the federal government to fund the provincial Initiatives, but this is not just uh, a health sector issue. It um, it also brings in housing, child and family services, the criminal justice system. So it's very much also an intersectorial approach because family members have to engage all of those various sectors as well in helping their loved ones. Yeah. Just on this question of what family caregivers needs, and we're going to need, we're going to be talking about that more um, in in the following segment. But what family caregivers say on this show, and this is the 125th episode, um, is that when this kind of diagnosis is first thrust at them, their first feeling is that they're alone. The second feeling is that they need more information. Uh, than they get from the healthcare system. Now, in that sense, they're not criticizing the healthcare system because they recognize that healthcare professionals, physicians, and the rest of them are uh, busy. Um, but they do need a flow of information 
that they can trust, that they understand, and that is actually useful to mm-hmm. them in this kind of situation. Now, again, this is another of, of Gordon Elderly's loaded questions, but do you see that sort of support flowing round, down, and through the formal healthcare system through government funding? Well, I, I would. I think we have to think out of the box. And I like your description, you know, uh, around to and with and, and about uh, you use some of those particular words. It's going to take uh, creative leadership and visionary leadership and transformative leadership that's willing to really work out of the box to address some of these issues that you and I are, are talking about today. I mean, it has to be guided by values, and one of the values is respect of families and inclusion, mean inclusion of families and meaningful engagement of families. So that means um, everywhere from policy change to service providers being trained, uh, guidelines being developed, and, in fact, the Commission is working on guidelines that will specifically look at creating conditions for families and friends who often serve as their primary support network. And these guidelines uh, will be for service providers in terms of how to be family-friendly and giving a voice to families. And I guess to go back to the theme of this show, this particular episode, that's where the hope lies for family caregivers, isn't it? It is. They, they they certainly want that dialogue. They want that relationship. They want to be honored as a family unit. Uh, I mean, families realize that uh, family, for the most part nowadays, is defined by the patient, and that may be the people uh, external to the nuclear unit or the, quote, traditional family, and uh, uh, that's important to the patient. But hope is fundamental to life, to recovery, uh, to living well and also be uh, resiliency. Um, um, yeah. Hope fuels resiliency. Yes, absolutely. Now, it is time for us to take the short break where we have to pay our rent. Mm-hmm. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay, stay with us. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. 
Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is Hope for Family Caregivers Caring for Family Members with Schizophrenia. So let's now talk about the challenges for family caregivers who are doing the caring for and with family members with schizophrenia. So Chris, one of the challenges for family caregivers caring for family members with schizophrenia is what's termed in the uh, technical language high-risk behaviours. What are these and why are they so challenging for family caregivers? Well, the high-risk behaviors um, are great pain and emotional stress to family members, and uh, it's always in the back of their mind in terms of worrying whether the person is going to develop those risky behaviors or is actually engaged in those risky behaviors. So right off the bat is not taking medication, and there are many reasons why people don't want to take medications. It's a pretty human phenomenon, uh, side effects. Uh, people think they're well enough and want to see if they can do well and continue in wellness without the medication. Um, another risk would be use of substances, uh, misuse, abuse of uh, alcohol and, and uh, street drugs. Up to 70% of people with severe mental illnesses will at some time engage in substance use and misuse to sort of self-medicate their situation. And certainly marijuana is high up there, but we know that in families in which there is mental illness that there is a sevenfold increase of risk of developing schizophrenia, as I said, if you use it and there is mental illness in your background. Uh, the other thing that families, uh, a few, a few families would experience is when their loved one uh, has paranoid auditory hallucinations and uh, that's what Vince Lee had when he was on the Greyhound bus and it killed Tim McLean. He had paranoid auditory hallucinations uh, warning him that he needed to take out that person on the bus lest that person take over the world and what have you. Uh, another one is if the family member had a volatile behavior prior to the schizophrenia, they're, they're probably going to have a volatile behavior after the schizophrenia. And uh, that in itself can be- become much more uh, complicated uh, afterwards. So those are some of the high-risk behaviors, um, uh, that, as well as just risky behaviors that any anyone can have, whether they have schizophrenia or not. I mean, if you if you're engaging in high-risk behaviors before you have schizophrenia, and in terms of unprotected sex, let's say, then you're probably going to engage in that that risk behavior as well after schizophrenia. Right. 
Chris, <clears throat> let's talk about some of the other challenges that this condition schizophrenia generates for family caregivers um, and whether they're sufficiently recognized. And what I'm looking at here are the sorts of stresses and strains on families like their own stress, their own health, their own financial circumstances and what actually happens to them perhaps when the law, the justice system starts to get involved. Chris, what about those? Well, it's it's a great question, and oftentimes, uh, you know, the emphasis is simply on the person with the illness, and then on the pharmacological care of the individual and the medication issues that arise. But fundamentally, what is caregiving? And so, every family member in the family system has to ask it, ask itself that question, and they need to discuss it. You know, what is caregiving, which is different from caretaking? And, of course, one's caregiving is going to be formed by their family of origin. So if you tend to be a very codependent person or the escape artist, uh, you've learned that from your family of origin. So that then brings me to the other challenge that family members must uh, discuss, and that is looking at your family system and its health. I grew up in a very unhealthy family, and so its dysfunction and unhealthiness did not help in our caregiving did not help in our knowing uh, how to do appropriate caregiving uh, and interfered with it with, with greatly. And we know that in unhealthy family systems, which, you know, many of us do have unhealthy elements in our families, it doesn't help with the recovery process and the relapse prevention. And that's why psychosocial education, not only around illness, but around how to do appropriate caregiving and looking at the health of your own family system, are, they are just so important to this task of overall family caregiving. That comes to taking care of the other members of the family mm-hmm. and the family taking care of itself in all of those kinds of dimensions, psychological, physical, yes. and financial. Is that and right? Very, and that's very hard for families to get is psychological support services, whether you call it counseling or psychology. Uh, the stresses and strains on marriage, uh, the tension that can be had between parents and siblings and siblings to siblings, uh, those issues often go left unaddressed and exacerbate then the whole tension and and the and the home and the illness. I mean, the elephant in the room, doctor, is not always the mental illness. The elephant in the room can be these other issues that you and I are pointing out today that get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to switch to a difficult topic, eugenics. And eugenics, as as you know, and I'm sure many of our listeners know, was a theory um, that led to the idea that mental illness and developmental disorders could be controlled in families if the family was subject to compulsory sexual sterilization. Um, This was provided for what was called at the time subnormal families. Now, that's gone. That's, um, in Canada anyway, outlawed um, and the you know, at the highest level of Canadian law. But it speaks to still, or perhaps it doesn't, that's going to be my question, the 
attitudes that are unfavorable to family caregiving in mental illness. So my question to you, and it's a bit of an academic one, but you have an earned doctorate. <laughs> How did these attitudes influence family caregiving for schizophrenia? And are there now any lingering effects or influences on the way schizophrenia is perceived within the family and through the family? Well, just to say the word schizophrenia, it is such a loaded word, and uh, I hope one day we'll come up with a, another word and um, that will not have all the baggage that the current word has. Uh, there are family members who can't accept that diagnosis because of their own social prejudice, and again, that can create uh, marital tension and certainly alienate the, the person who is living with the schizophrenia. But Families would say that the worst thing uh, about living with mental illness is, is not so much the mental illness itself, but the social prejudice is still out there, and that schizophrenia would be seen as psychopathology, which it is not. People with schizophrenia are not psychopaths. Uh, another myth would be that, well, you know, people think my daughter, because she has schizophrenia, is automatically violent. When you know, 99% of the people with schizophrenia are no more violent than the rest of the society. But there is a subgroup that is more violent, and that subgroup would be composed of people who have a hard form of schizophrenia, severe form rather, and do not take medication and engage in substance use and have a volatile uh, personality. So that's the characteristics of that subgroup that, that tends to be a little bit more violent than the average um, person or, or the population. So um, this discrimination, because uh, social prejudice always results in discrimination, uh, what it results in is l lack of meaningful work, lack of workplace accommodation, lack of appropriate mental health services. If you get caught up in the criminal justice system, uh, people are more likely to be victims of violence rather than perpetrators of violence, especially you know by gangs. Uh, this is some of the fallout that families have to d deal with. Truth of the matter is that schizophrenia is treatable. 25% will have one psychotic break and never have it again. And then you have up to 60 to 70% of people who can go on to live beyond the limitations of the mental illness. That's called recovery. So recovery is living beyond the mental, living beyond the limitations of the mental illness. And then you have about 10% that are homeless. Right. Just to sort of dwell on this particular point what you, the statistics you gave have a message of hope within them don't they? Mm. That's, in that, that, that's, that's very very important well it once used to be called the kiss of death diagnosis to get a diagnosis of schizophrenia was called the kiss of death diagnosis because you were basically mm. you know go home your life's over once schizophrenic always schizophrenic take your medications you're not going to get married you're going to live with your family you'll be on welfare the rest of your life that's what was told to people. It was thought to be automatically a downward spiral course, very degenerative in order, but we now know that that's not true. Right. And that sort of attitude that you've just described uh, underpinned this uh, mm -hmm. eugenics movement. Well, of, yes. Yeah, 75 years ago. Right. Um, in the sense that the problem could be resolved or solved mm -hmm. or prevented mm -hmm. by... Disabling people. Yeah. But now what you have, what you have today now is a social model of disability. How, how, how eugenics plays itself out today is not so much in the biomedical arena, but in social policy. 
So there's the theory of social model of disability, and that what's disabling is not so much the mental illness as it is how society responds to people. Example, people with schizophrenia that are homeless are not homeless because they have schizophrenia. They're homeless because society does not have a policy of endearment to, to build safe, affordable homes for people who are poor. Right. And also, society may not have um, that sense of need of caring mm-hmm. for people who themselves have a struggle and whose families, to be very practical about it, need to be able to spot if things are going off the rails somewhat or if the medications aren't being taken and, in effect, then become the influence over the individual, quite frankly, in a statement like, don't forget to take your meds. Right. There's a lot more to it than that. but well, yeah. The The meds are a kind of symbol there. Now, we are um, going now into our inevitable break. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. So are you connected to the meaning of your life? Are your relationships and career satisfying and fulfilling? How about your parenting? Are you feeling some challenges there? Listen for He Said, She Said every week with husband and wife, Jonathan Nadelman and Carrie Dino. In addition to being married and the parents of a spirited daughter, Carrie and Jonathan share over 40 years of clinical experience as psychotherapists and want to hear all about the challenges you're facing. He Said, She Said airs live Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you lost, fed up, knowing you're better and yet not knowing why? Let Derek O'Neill transform the not knowing into the knowing by showing you the way. Whether it's not being able to drop the excess weight to unhealthy relationships or finances that you know you deserve. Derek provides insights that are like magnets to invite what you want in your life and repel what you don't want. Tune in to Derek now to discover how to improve your life immediately and unleash the winner that you know you are and others need to see. Listen Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is Hope for Family Caregivers, Caring for Family Members with Schizophrenia. So now let's talk about the needs for help for family caregivers in meeting their challenges. So, Chris, my first question to you is this. In relation to our social systems, what are the most pressing needs for help for family caregivers who are in the situation of caring for family members with schizophrenia, and why are these particular needs so pressing? Well, the number one social need that families talk about is I've traveled across Canada the last 17 years and have met thousands of families, um, is the need for safe, affordable housing of choice. Older family members are very concerned about this. As I said earlier, up to 70% of people with schizophrenia will live with their parents. Well, those parents are going to die. And now with baby boomers uh, beginning retirement stage, and many will eventually not be in good health and will have to downsize, and their great wonder, their great worry, their great fear is, is where is my loved one with schizophrenia going to live? So that is a critically pressing issue, and Canada does not have a national housing strategy. But at a personal level, you know, for the caregiver, it, it can have negative effects upon them, and those negative effects can be high levels of burden, distress, stress, physical health problems and anxiety, depression, and overall, you know, lower levels of life satisfaction by the family caregiver. And, and in fact, family caregivers are at more risk for physical health problems and depression when compared to non-careers or to those caring for persons with, without mental illness. So what families talk about uh, are feelings of feeling burned out, uh, burned out about stigma of mental illness, burned out in the caregiver role, the work, the load, the balance, competing responsibilities and the challenges in providing care. Uh, when families talk about burnout, they talk about the conflict with the person being cared for, uh, financial strain, not enough or adequate care of, of the person living with mental illness, uh, as I've said earlier, lack of adequate housing options, and the need for respite themselves as family members. And then, and inevitably, you know, there's this tremendous burnout of just dealing with the system, whether it's the medical system, the legal system, the justice system, or the government. Just a great hassle, unfortunately, for family members oftentimes. Right. Just flowing, flowing on from that answer, Chris, thank you. Um, let's talk about the justice and police systems. Um, what are the most pressing needs for help for family caregivers, caring for family members, obviously with schizophrenia, where the family member through, let's say, a high-risk behavior, as you previously described it, um, has resulted in the police calling, an incident in the street that draws the family as well as the individual into the justice system? What are the pressing most pressing needs for help for family caregivers in that situation? It's one thing to navigate or attempt to navigate the mental health system, and it's completely another thing when families have to learn how to navigate the criminal justice system and immediately um, 
is the need of being able to find a lawyer that understands mental illness and knows how to use it appropriately in the defense case. I get calls a lot of times, and regularly rather, from family members who are looking for an attorney or a lawyer who understands schizophrenia and can defend their loved one well in a court case. The other thing is diversion programs, and diversions means diverting people away from the regular criminal justice processes, and that can be pre- and post-diversion. Pre-diversion would be where police would pick the individual up, deem them to be uh, having some sort of disturbance, emotional stress. They may not know what the diagnosis is, but under the Mental Health Act, they could take them directly to the hospital rather than taking them into the station and booking them. So that's called pre-diversion. Post-diversion would be what we know as mental health courts. And so the person pleads guilty, doesn't go through the regular court system, and attached to the court are mental health supports and services, mental health workers, people who can help them get housing, deal with drug problems, and that type of thing. And we know that the recidivism rates, the rates of reoffending, are much lower when people are able to go through diversion programs. So family members certainly have been advocating for diversion programs. I think in North America we're getting close to around 250 mental health courts. Uh, in Canada, I think we only have about, at the most, 10 to 15. And then if your loved one does... Uh, this uh, becomes a prisoner, or an inmate. I had two brothers who spent time in prison. Then Lord help you in terms of trying to find appropriate and adequate mental health services uh, in the confines of a segregated uh, prison ward. And in Canada, that's happening more and more that the mentally ill are segregated out. Up to 25% or more people in prisons do have a mental illness, a diagnosable mental illness. And it's not the best of mental health services because it's, especially in the federal settings, and uh, the pr provincial health care does not deal with uh, federal prisons, does not provide services in federal prisons. So those are some of the justice and police systems. I mean, the last one could be the fact of adequate police training. We don't have any unified uh, police training across Canada. You, some police officers get as little as two hours training. Some get 40 hours of training. So it's a it's a mixed mixed bag of training that we have across Canada. Let, let me now ask you what's essentially the same que question, but n now in relation to the mental health care system. That is to say, what are the most pressing needs for help for family caregivers? You know, caring for family members with schizophrenia. Um, care, that needs navigating. You've mentioned this. Um, a, a complex, confusing and often overburdened system. Um, what is, what, how would you identify what needs would you identify for help for family caregivers and what makes these needs so pressing well the literature seems to reveal this that what do family caregivers need and what they need are those things that will facilitate a healthy balance in their lives a healthy balance in the lives of their loved one and so the list goes like this, that they need information about available supports, a whole range of supports from a biopsychosocial, spiritual perspective. They have a need for recognition. 
and to be utilized in a meaningful way. Uh, they have a need for validation and support from not only extended family, but community, employers, government, and service providers. The literature says and, and the anecdotal story says that family members need training and skill development because that helps with relapse prevention. They need respite, time off. They need help with daily caregiving activities. Many family members talk about the need for emotional and financial support as well. And then caregiver-friendly workplace policies. Uh, we don't have friendly workplace policies that free family members up to be able to go home and to take time with their loved one. And then finally, the need that's always there is that family members are saying they want a voice in the mental health system, meaningful engagement in the planning, implementation, and evaluation of mental health services. Right. Got it. Now, you mentioned earlier, um, I'm going to paraphrase it, but what will happen to my child, my loved one, when I'm dead? That's not quite mm -hmm. how you phrased it. But the reason I mention mm -hmm. it is that that's exactly the conversation that I've heard from time to time. Mm -hmm. And what it's leading to is a, something of an interesting and perhaps in some ways surprising evolution, and that is wealth management uh, organizations and individuals are starting, and there are some good initiatives, to provide <coughs> advice to families faced with this situation. How do they manage their financial mm -hmm. affairs so that the care continues in a way that um, they would wish it to continue, whether it's people living um, in appropriate housing, whether it's if they do need to live in some kind of facility, whether it's the right kind of facility. And so uh, I'm putting that to you. Do you have any reservations at all about that kind of approach? Do you think it's valid? Is it something that you would wish to see promoted, the idea that people should arrange their own personal financial affairs for the benefit of their children? What do you think? Well, as long as it's recovery-oriented, and, and, and that is, it's not just care-taking. Uh, uh, you know, I encourage family members to find housing for their loved ones, and that, not that uh, you know, I'm not really... I don't encourage the, the, the loved ones staying and living with the family. You, you want to try to transition, transition them into more independent or supportive housing. Um, certainly in Canada, you know, we have the registered retirement savings plan now for people who are disabled. That's good. And people who have economic means can go the way that you've articulated in terms of how they want to benefit, maximize their wealth in the future for their children. The people that I worry about are those adult children, rather, or adults I worry about and families I worry about are those that are basically living near, near the poverty line or you know, they just don't have the means uh, to plan adequately for the future. So that's the reason why to utilize the mental health system, get a mental health worker, and have that mental health worker find appropriate housing, whether it's supportive housing, transitional housing, uh, leading to independent housing. Hopefully uh, that's one of the goals of the mental health system uh, to, to help people m move forward in their process or journey of recovery right so that's um the that's sort of a long winding question there but it's a complicated one i mean it won't uh, the, the, the answer was but it's a complicated question 
Sure, absolutely. Um, what it comes to, I think, uh, in my mind, is that there has to be systems that meet all needs. And I would just say this, that schizophrenia is a condition which respects no one. That is to say, mm. um, and you know this very well, Chris, it's, it's nothing to do with how much money you've got. Nothing necessarily, to, it's nothing to do with your ethnic origin. It's nothing to do with um, your family history, or we don't know whether it is or it isn't. Uh, that's an uncertainty. And therefore, a comprehensive system uh, needs to be, a, and as, as you've described it, by the way, yeah. needs to be capable of meeting all the challenges and helping mm. family and, and family caregivers meet their particular circumstances and challenges. So on that point, uh, we're back again at the time now where we have to look after our finances by taking the short break, which we'll now do. This is Dr. Gordon Everly, and my guest is Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. the experts call toll-free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com come back to your senses Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m-y-m-o-n-a-m-i dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is hope for family caregivers caring for family members with schizophrenia. So now let's talk about messages regarding schizophrenia. So Chris, in the Canadian province of Ontario, there are now four certified class actions relating to the standards of care in government facilities for persons with mental illnesses and developmental challenges. 
Um, what is your interpretation of the message regarding schizophrenia that these class actions are sending to Canadian society as a whole? And I just add that I don't know the numbers. I'm not sure anybody is completely sure of the numbers, but it's entirely evident from what I've read anyway that the kind of people who are in those facilities would include persons with schizophrenia. So broadly, what's the message you think that's coming from those class actions and the message that should be heard by Canadian society? The message is that people with schizophrenia have rights, and social justice is the question that we're discussing here. I would encourage your listeners to visit the website of the United Nations and look for the Convention of Persons with Disabilities and Rights. Canada, Canada rather, has signed on to the Convention of Persons with Disabilities and Rights. People with schizophrenia have a right to a quality of care. I know that the mental health institution here at Selkirk Mental Health Center, it's well known that people still have to, they live in a ward. They live in a barracks. They don't have a personal room. That's a violation, I think, of human dignity. Uh, people with schizophrenia have a right to patient safety and, and, and satisfaction in the care that they re- receive. I mean, critical incidences have to be seriously uh, taken and reduced. Uh, the Convention of Persons with Disabilities and Rights also calls for the abolition of seclusions and restraints, and many hospitals in the United States have moved away from using seclusions and restraints. So I think the broader question here is human dignity uh, and acknowledging that we do have some very archaic settings in Canada still, uh, asylum-like environments, that people are living in, and that's as much of a social justice issue as a health issue. Just to feed back to you a sub-question. So it's a need for change in the dimension of social justice. Have I understood that right? And that change will only come as social prejudice changes, and the only way the social prejudice will change is if we create a social movement that says it's unacceptable. If we can create a social movement of support of mental health and people with mental illnesses like cancer has and breast cancer more specifically, then you'll see the changes that need to be brought about. Right. Now, we're still on messages. What about, what's your message for the healthcare system and governments regarding family caregiving for schizophrenia? Chris? Well, be the change you want to be. Governments have to be the change that they want to see. And uh, we have to value families, their importance to the healthcare system, uh, their value even to the housing system. Uh, we know that the more we build in to the lives of family caregivers, their capacity, uh, the more we provide them with psychosocial rehabilitation uh, workshops, that it absolutely does result in less relapse and and less hospitalization. The typical relapse can cost about $7,000, an average relapse about $7,000, $7,000 to $10,000. That's a lot of savings, and so family caregiving uh, is not a not-for-profit business. It is a profit business in that it does save money uh, for the health care industry and, and for the society at, at, at large. I mean, the cost of mental illnesses overall in Canada, the economic burden is $51 billion in Canada every year. Right. 
You know, you're echoing in a very positive and strong way what the Health Council of Canada said. And put it this way, is that family caregiving um, is saving the system money at a time when money is more and more under pressure. Mm -hmm. And so also our public sentiments and feelings about the effectiveness of our systems. And so while this is a cliché and it doesn't always hold, I think what you've just been describing is in effect a win-win all round for the healthcare system, for family caregivers and for our society moving positively forward. Uh, that's a bit of, uh, if you like, propaganda on my part, but I think and say if you disagree, I think I'm resonating with your message. Am I? Sure, sure, yes, sir, you are. Great. Now, last question, and in many ways the most important, he said just to <laughs> alert. What's your message, Chris, for family caregivers regarding family caregiving for schizophrenia? What do you say to them? Well, I want to offer them five key wisdom principles. And principle number one is don't give up hope. Uh, I know the devastation and known families that just didn't have hope and didn't think recovery could happen, and they come back to me and later say, you know, Chris, you were right. So don't give up hope. It fuels resiliency. The second key is don't pathologize your family member. Uh, we make the mistake of reading everything that the person does as being the schizophrenia, and we need to look at the strengths of the individual and celebrate those strengths and the individuality of the person. The third key wisdom principle is look at your own caregiving. Is it healthy? If there's dysfunctionality to the caregiving, then do a family history and and uh, take care of that because it does impact on family caregiving. The fourth key would be to join a family support group. You don't have to do it alone, and I'm not saying that you have to be a lifelong time member of a family support group, but certainly you can find a safe, welcoming, empathic place to to grieve with and to laugh together and to share your concerns. And the final fifth key wisdom a key wisdom principle would be take care of your own mental health because your own mental health is determines how well you will be able to engage in this uh, loving task of what we call caregiving. So taking care of your own mental health because if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to do effective caregiving. That's a powerful, strong message of hope, of encouragement, and, Chris, of recognition of family caregivers, of what they already do, already have been doing for long enough. And also, it's a kind of prescription almost for this, the way in which the healthcare the social systems should interact with family caregivers. Uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing just to make sure that I've understood your message. And that is um, the family caregivers are in effect doing a fundamental job, uh, but they need others to recognize the job they're doing, recognizes the, the stress, recognize that family caregivers need to take care of themselves and recognize that the systems that are around them need to adapt in a way to family caregivers' needs such that everybody benefits. Now, again, that's propaganda for me. Agree or disagree, Chris? I don't think it's propaganda. <laughs> I think we're just affirming each other and affirming the listeners.
yeah great great stuff now i want to thank first of all our listeners for listening i really sincerely hope they found it as as important to them as i think uh, chris and i have found it uh, as important to the message that we're wanting to give out so i want to say a particular thank you to uh, to Dr. Chris Somerville, to Chris for sharing with us your experience, your insights and your advice. And I wish you, on behalf of everybody listening and everybody grappling with schizophrenia, every and continuing success in your work. Uh, what you're doing needs itself recognition. And here's a commercial coming up. If Family Caregivers Unite, this talk show can help you again, help get the message out, just ask, we'll be there for you. So in our next episode um, of Family Caregivers Unite, we're going to be talking about keeping memories, restoring memories. So please join us, listeners, dear listeners, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.